Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Brent Jones. Enjoy. Good morning. We're continuing a series this morning on good news, and good news, we're talking about circumcision today. So that's great. I'm just going to put that out there, so now you know. (laughs) If any of the teens are still in the room, they are now gone. That's okay. (laughs) It's it's certainly a topic for sure. All right. (laughs) Let's pray. for me. (laughs) God, thanks for today. Thanks that we can be together. Thanks that we can open your word together and hear from you. Would you just speak to each one of our hearts? Speak to my heart. Just speak to us today. We just want to hear from you and only you today, Jesus. Just have your way in everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, today we're, like I said, we're continuing our series on good news. And, you know, um, we're in chapter two of Galatians. And Galatians is, I, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I grew up in church. And so um, I, you know, in church as, you, as a kid, well, in the 80s, you learned the books of the Bible. I don't know if they still do that. I know Kinney teaches that. But uh, we used to have to learn the books of the Bible in order, right? And so I learned uh, the books of the Bible, the books of the New Testament this way, specifically the letters from Paul. I learned Galatians, uh, Galatians, Philippians, uh, excuse me, <laughs> Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I should have learned them better. I learned them General Electric Power Company, and that's how I remember them. <laughs> Obviously, it didn't work that well. General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Each of these four books um, are actually letters from the Apostle Paul. He wrote to young churches that had been planted in those particular regions or cities, and he writes them to update them on his travels, to update them on the advance of the gospel throughout regions that had, had yet to hear. He writes to them as well to encourage them in their faith, to teach them how to live, and to correct specific issues that those churches are facing. And it can be really tempting sometimes with the books from Paul, with the letters from Paul, to look at a specific issue that he's correcting and say it doesn't apply to us because maybe it doesn't apply to us. Just be like, oh, I don't even, I mean, circumcision, I don't know. It doesn't really apply to me. It's okay, guys. I'm going to say that about 300 more times. So every time I say circumcision, the guys wince just a little bit. Uh, I'm going to say it a bunch today. So, um, But we see in each of Paul's writings that he's a fierce defender of the churches that he's planted. That's what I want us to hear. He's a fierce defender of the churches that he's planted, of the people that he shared the gospel with. He defends them at all costs. He goes after anybody that's against them, anybody that comes in to try to disrupt or divide or bring something weird. He lays the smack down on them really quickly. 
He just goes right in and he just, he corrects the issue. Why? Because he cares about the church. He cares that the church is, is receiving the truth, preaching the truth, and living the truth. I think we could use a little bit more of the Apostle Paul today in church. Amen? He's a defender of the church and the truth in the church, and he's swift to bring correction and instruction. He's like a father to each of these churches. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, I've actually become your father. That's what he says about his church in, in, in Corinthians. He says, in Corinth, he says, I've become like your father. And so he takes any disruption or disunity very seriously. There's so much in the letter to, to the Galatians Paul takes us on this in-depth look at what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There's so much more than even we'll talk about here on Sunday mornings. And sometimes we like to show, you know, we've shown those, the videos from the Bible Project. How many of you know about Bible Project? We show those videos in here sometimes to explain like, well, here's what this book is about, or here's what this concept is about, or here's what this guy was trying to say. Or, but I just, you know, it'd be, we could do that for Galatians. There is one for Galatians. But can I just show you the ending slide for the Galatians video? <laughs> so just leave it up there. So an effort to spare you from that, it's a, like, it's nine minutes where they, I mean, it is a lot. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's a lot in Galatians. You're not going to get it all on a Sunday morning. So you need to dive into your devotions. You need to dive into the book of Galatians yourself. There's a lot going on there. And so today we're just going to take one little portion of this um, and and talk today about circumcision after, out of Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. So let's read that together. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. This is Paul writing. He says, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. Remember that. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some of the false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearances. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles or the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been sent to the Jews or to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, who's, who repute, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles, or the uncircumcised, and they should go to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is God's word. I, that little tag on in the end, all they asked was that we remember the poor. 
They said a few other things to them, but that was really his emphasis. They said, hey, you know, yes, go preach to the uncircumcised. Just remember the poor. And he said, hey, that's the very thing I was eager to do all along. Now, I love that Paul brings Titus along because he was Greek, a.k.a. a Gentile, a.k.a. not Jewish, a.k.a. not circumcised. He brings Titus along I just imagine how this conversation goes. He's like, hey, Titus, I'm headed up to see the big guys in Jerusalem. You're Greek, right? Do you want to go? I just have a couple questions I'm going to ask him. You interested at all? Titus is like, sure. And he's like, okay, good. I'm not implying that Paul was deceitful at all or trying to trick Titus, but it is very interesting. It's very key that not only does he bring Titus along, there were probably other guys with him on this trip, but he makes a point of saying, I brought Titus along who wasn't circumcised. I think he was trying to see what the church fathers were going to say and do. I think he was, in Paul's way, I think he was just like putting the issue out in front of them to say, hey, what do you think about this? What's your plan here, guys? Paul pulls no punches. All through Galatians, Paul pulls no punches. If he wants to say something, he says it very directly, and then he recircles it with some, you know, some backup text, some some stuff from the Torah. He backs it up and says it again. Circumcision was a part of the covenant with God, clear back from Abraham and was passed down through Moses. It's mentioned well over 50 times in Scripture, And it all started with Genesis chapter 17, where God makes his covenant with Abraham. Genesis 17, 9 through 14, let's read that together. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you for for generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This is from the beginning of the covenant with God. So this culture, this is the culture of the Jewish world at the time that Christianity was born into. Circumcision was the major culture. This covenant with God was the major point of the culture that Christianity was born into at the time. Interestingly enough, Galatians was most likely the very first book of the New Testament that was written. But you're like, hey, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Hey, that's just how they're arranged in the canon. The one that was written first was most likely the book of Galatians. Why does that matter? Well, up to that point in the church, they had the testimony of the the apostles and the other disciples, which was just word of mouth at the time. It was just word of mouth. They were passing it on one person to another. The leaders would go and teach in a church and they would bring their testimony of their experience with Jesus. That's why the first, that's why the the, uh, eyewitness account of the life of Jesus was so very important to the early church because that's how it was being passed on. You see, Jesus didn't ascend, it wasn't like... uh, Uh, crucified, uh, buried, risen from the grave, ascended into heaven, and they started writing their letters. That's not how that worked. In some cases, there were decades between this and that. 
So they were passing it on, one church to the next, one leader to the next, one meeting to the the next. They were passing it on, their testimony, their eyewitness of Jesus, with the words of the Torah that went with it, with what they had, the prophets, the, the Old Testament prophets. They would pass on their words with their experience with Jesus, and together they would present the gospel. So there were things that Paul is addressing in this letter church to the churches that there's no official language for yet. There's no official church language. He addresses here, and he even says it to, to Titus as well, who he takes with him, who he took with him on that trip. Later, he's writing to Titus, who he left in Crete to, to oversee the church there. And in Titus chapter 1, verse 10, he says, There are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those among the circumcision group. Look, I, I highlight it there for you, especially those among the circumcision group. I feel like that meant something to Titus. I don't know why. There's a lot of guys out there, they're talking meaningless talk and deception, especially those among the circumcision group. They must be silenced. That's, this is strong language because they're, look at this, they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain. Skip to verse 14. And will pay no atten- they will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to merely human commands of those who reject the truth. He's instructing Titus not to pay attention to Jewish myths and commands of those who reject the truth. Don't pay attention to Jewish myths. Whoa, that's strong language for the law. He's specifically talking about the law. And he says, hey, that's just a myth. Whoa, settle down, Paul. But listen, if anybody was qualified to say this was a myth, it's the Apostle Paul. Educated in the law. Zealous for the law. Persecuting the church because of the law. And one encounter with Jesus and suddenly all of the law is a myth and Jesus Christ is all in all. And this is where we live. This is the covenant we are in. And that's where Paul brings us in Galatians. He says, this is the covenant that we have with God now. Not some myth, not some thing that, not some weirdness, but the, this is the relationship that we have with God. Circumcision was nothing more than a cultural expression of their religion at that time now. And Paul was contending against people, imposing something on someone else. Why? Because like he tells Titus, it's disruptive. Like he tells Titus, imposing yourself, your stuff on others creates division in whole households. Making other people feel less than. Using your religion to make somebody else feel less than you. He's saying, don't use your religious behavior to make someone else feel less than you. He's calling them higher. He's calling them up to say, this is the covenant we're in now. We have freedom in Christ. And in Jesus Christ, there there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither Greek. He's talking to Titus. There's neither, there, there's, neither, there's neither slave nor free. He's saying, hey, all that's been wiped out. All that was wiped out because you couldn't keep the law anyway. 
And he has a specific authority to say that. Circumcision was a practice of the law and practices of the law no longer applied for justification. Listen to what I'm saying. You're going to leave here and be like, well, that pastor said we didn't have to do anything. No, listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> practices of the law no longer applied for justification. Because justification, my justification before God is only in Jesus Christ by faith alone. That's where my justification lies. Anything else I try to add to it won't fit in. My sermon's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. I have a couple pages I can turn to. I'm trying to decide where we're going. <laughs> Come, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Sometimes we say, you know, if they don't do this particular religious thing, they're not really a Christian. I have had that thought in my own heart. I don't know about you. If they don't believe this particular thing, I don't know that they're a Christian. If they don't subscribe to this particular line of belief, I don't know that they're justified. What is my problem? Like I have anything to do with anybody else's justification? Okay. So Paul teaches this in several of his letters, actually. It's not just Galatians. Galatians, he does a deep and early dive for the whole church to read, and then, but he addresses it later. He also says, uh, you can put that slide up, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Say, no condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember, making someone feel less than, that's called condemnation. Making somebody feel less than you because of your religious practice, that's condemnation. And Paul says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Sin and death. Sin and and death. You see, in the law, if there was sin, there was death. We're people, so there's always sin. So that meant there was always death. But now, Jesus Christ has now fulfilled the law, so we no longer walk in sin and death, because where there was sin, there's now forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ and through him alone. That's where we have our justification from. Colossians chapter 2 he says, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, say in him. In him you are also, here's this word, circumcised. In who? In Christ. What? There's no record of Jesus circumcising anyone. There's not. It doesn't exist. It's not out there. So what is Paul saying here? In Jesus we are all circumcised? In him, you were also circumcised with, look at this, a circumcision not performed by human hands. Romans 2, 28 through 29. A person is not a Jew who is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. 
No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Do you receive this today? In the law, it used to be about a physical expression that was a sign of your standing. There was a physical expression that was a sign of your standing with God. Now under Christ, it's an inward expression of the heart that's a sign of your standing with him. Look at what Jesus had to say to the Jewish leaders. I know we're flying through a lot of scripture here. Are you with me? Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. These are the woes. (laughs) You know, can I, as a side note, sometimes I get really woed by the news. Like, whoa, oh, this weekend, I'm like, whoa. I think I need, I need, I'm talking about me. I don't know about you. You make your decision for yourself, your life, your family. I need to be less woed by the news and more woed by the words of Jesus for my life. I need to let him speak and correct. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. They think the apostle Paul was harsh. For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside they're full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to people. You have the right sign on the outside of you. But inside, inwardly, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. A few weeks ago, we talked about the concept that Jesus is the good news. Here, Jesus is right in front of them, and they refuse to see the good news in him. They refuse to let go of their own self-righteousness, their own, their own sense of piety. They missed it completely. They're more comfortable with their own dead works than in freedom and life that Jesus was offering them by following him right there that day. Staying in dead religious traditions and practices will cause you to miss the move of God that's happening right now. You can't hold on to old things and just lump them in with a new life in Christ. They don't go together because he replaced them. My MacBook has been telling me all week it needs an update. You ever, this ever happened to you? No. It's been telling me all week it needs an update. Every time I open anything, it needs an update. But I was preaching this week and I didn't want to update. I didn't want to lose anything or have any weirdness or like, you know, I just, I don't, you guys, I, if, if I was talking about good luck or bad luck, I don't have good luck. Now I don't believe that in luck, but if you were to be like, is he a lucky person? I'm like, I don't have good luck. It's kind of the opposite. And so <laughs> I don't update my computer on weeks when I'm preaching because so, it just seems foolish to me. So I didn't update. But do you know, when I update my MacBook, in order to update to the new operating system, the old operating system has to be wiped and replaced. I can't keep the old system if I want the new system. I'm like, oh, I like the new system. It looks cool. It's slick. It's got all these features, but I really like the old features. Can we just kind of, and he, they, 
no. Apple says no. And I try to think that Apple has my best interest in mind. Apple does not have my best interest in mind. <laughs> Maybe they have my best portable computing system needs in mind. But you know, I can't combine my old system of operating on my MacBook with the new system that Apple wants to put on there. So I have to trust that they know what they're doing and get rid of the old and put on the new. Do you hear what I'm saying? Focusing on old religious practices is a surefire way to miss the new things God is doing. And I don't want to miss the new things God's doing. Like God's the same. He doesn't change. He doesn't do anything. I Listen to me. He's always doing something new. Do you know why? You haven't discovered everything about him yet. So that means every day with him can be new. Every day with him, every prayer meeting, every worship service, every message, every time you open his word can be fresh and new and engaging because there's nothing that I know about God now that he can't just blow my mind tomorrow and, and say, hey, look at this. Piety is religious devotion, right? But piety is, is misplaced when it's focused on the practice of religion rather than the relationship with God. Piety can be misplaced. Finding your piety in practices is off base and will always lead to religious dysfunction or deadness. Tending to a relationship with Jesus will always lead to life. You find dysfunction in church, and I bet you'll find a practice that we aren't able to let go of. I'm going to say that again. You find some dysfunction in church, I bet you, you, I, you can trace that back to the unwillingness to let go of a weird practice from the past. In Galatians 2, Paul is setting up a message here that nothing we can do on the outside can save us. Even in the book of Romans, we read after some back and forth, uh, the apostle says this in Romans 3, 9, he says, what should we conclude? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it's written, this is verse 10, no one is righteous, not even one. That's echoing uh, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, which says all our righteousness, all our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. All of, our right, all of our righteous deeds. Your appearance, your pedigree, practices, past or performance don't matter when it comes to your justification, only your faith in Jesus Christ. Our righteousness, our own attempts at redeeming ourselves are like filthy rags to him. Some of us don't have a rag bin at home, so I'm, I have another example if that's okay. How many of you have heard the show, of the show Nailed It on Netflix? If you haven't, that's fine, but you're going to want to watch it now. In our house, we like to bake. Actually, one of my kids, actually, that's her life goal is to own her own bakery. And so we watch shows like this all the time. And this one is just magic because actually sometimes I feel like it's like looking in at my own baking experience. And so uh, let's go ahead and just, <laughs> let's show that first one. I'm going to show you what it's supposed to look like. This is what the cake was supposed to look like. Isn't that cute? 
Like, I'd be like, yeah, I want to eat that. That looks beautiful. And so then the, so then what happens on the show Nailed It is, so they, they look at this cake and the chef shows them this, the pastry chef and says, here's your, you know, this is your goal for today. Here's all, we're going to all bake this. And there's three teams and they're competing to see who can bake this cake. And then at the end, they reveal everybody's cake. And so I want to show you the big reveal. Go. Nailed it. <laughs> Not to sound like an infomercial, but these are actual results. This is actually, nailed it. Okay, do you get the picture? Next. Isn't this beautiful? Like, this is like, I mean, you guys, like any of you have ever had to price out a wedding cake, you know this cake was expensive, right? It's beautiful. Look at the detail, the stencil work. Look at that. Like, look at the fondant. Like, it's beautiful. There's fresh flowers on the top. I mean, come on. Who wouldn't want this? So let's just look at the their results. Nailed it. <laughs> You're supposed to let the cake cool first, right? Okay, let's look at the next one before I get super grossed out. Here's the next one before I never eat cake again. Oh, look at that. This is an actual cake. Oh my gosh, this is an actual cake. But the results are the things that nightmares are made of. Let's show it. Ah! (laughs) You guys. (laughs) Okay, you gotta take that off screen before I actually, yeah. Okay, next one. Next one. Okay. Oh, look at this. It's a unicorn cake. It's so cute. It's so beautiful. Here's their version. Nailed it. It's like it's bleeding out of its eyeballs or something. I don't And speaking of bleeding out of your eyeballs, let's show the last one. <laughs> just, just leave that up there for a second. So the cake, I mean, that's impressive. That's like, like almost like actual size of a human. I have so much to say. Anyway, <laughs> just, just show their version. Nailed it. I don't even know what to say. I I can't. Just take it down. It's good. I th- <laughs> Woo! Okay, you get the point. You get where we're at. Okay. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> our own righteousness, <laughs> the things we can do on our own. They're like rags compared to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Our own attempts, it's like our own attempts at baking. Our own attempt at righteousness is like our own version of nailed it. We just can't do it no matter how hard we try. (laughs) That's what Paul's message is here. 
at best, our religious practices are empty and light and, and lifeless. And at worst, they're divisive. Paul says they didn't give in to those who were trying to make them slaves to the law so that the truth of the gospel might remain with them. The truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, nothing added to it. What are we trying to add to the gospel? To the already good news. Your own actions, my own trying, my own preferences, even my own rhythms and my own practices, they're not the end all. Jesus is the end all. The beginning and the end, the first and the last, the alpha, the omega, the all in all, not my devotional rhythms, not my church attendance, not my religious practice, Jesus. Not my tithe, not my small group, Jesus. Not the books I'm reading, not my devotions, Jesus. Not my youth group, not my prayer time, not whether I turn in a baby bottle for Stanton Health, Jesus. You guys, we're off base in a few areas. We seem to think that somehow there are things that we could do that could somehow produce our own justification in Christ Jesus. And I want to tell you today, they will not do it. I'm not saying all those things I listed aren't good things. They're fine things. They're just fine. But they won't save you. And imposing them on somebody else will only make them feel less. And that's not the gospel. That's not the Jesus that I know. It's hard to have room for the living Jesus in a dead religious system. There's no room for dead and life. You want to cut something away? How about cutting away the lifeless practices? We don't need external works or signs. We need a work of our hearts. We don't need bumper stickers and flags. We need a work of our hearts. We don't need another human solution, idea, or policy. We need a transformation of our hearts, a circumcision from our hearts that can only come from an on-fire relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we actually need. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 2, he says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? He said, I didn't come to teach you a bunch of other stuff. I came to teach you about Jesus Christ and his, him crucified, his sacrifice, his sacrifice for you. I read something the other day about well, this message is about circumcision, so I was doing some research, and that can get really weird. Anyways, I read something the other day about men who want to become, who want to convert to Judaism and what that actually looks like. In an Orthodox, in a conservative setting, they have to be circumcised to convert. If they are already circumcised, listen to this, in conservative movements of Judaism, they require a drop of blood to be drawn as a symbolic circumcision. Why? Because the blood was the sign. But it completely misses the point that circumcision was just a sign. And today, God says, remember that sign of the old covenant that you used to have? our covenant together. The part where you have to shed your own blood, yeah, that's not how we're going to do it anymore. 
Now, I will still keep up my end of the bargain, God says, and my son shed his blood so we can live in the covenant of relationship forever. No blood draw needed. No scalpel needed. But wait, what's the catch? Nothing, no catch. But wait, what can I do? What do I do to have this? Nothing. But wait, what can I produce? What can I bring? What can I do? There's nothing you can do. You accept that my son made the sacrifice of his blood for you, and that's enough. No, there's got to be more than that. See, religion says I, there's some things I can do. There's some practices I can do. I can go to church. I can read my Bible. I can pray. Well, those are good things. Yeah, you should do those things, but they will help me. No, no, no. Your justification happened on the cross. And if you can accept that, then I can accept you as my son or my daughter. Well, there's nothing else I could, no, there's nothing else you can do. There's nothing to do but put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and mine. There's a, there's a scene in the, in the Old Testament, I was talking to somebody about this week, where Joshua, remember the Old Testament, you know, Joshua, Joshua in the Battle of Jericho, remember? So, well, after, after that, um, I think it's after that, I can't quite remember now, God speaks to Joshua and says, okay, you're in the land, okay, it's happening now, get all of Israel together and circumcise all of Israel. Joshua, could you imagine what, how weird that was? Just imagine how weird that, it's really, I, want, I need you to imagine how weird that was because then I need to say something about it. Imagine if, if instead of just that, if God said, call all of Israel together, Joshua, and circumcise all of Israel, or this one guy will do it and that'll represent everybody else. Which would you choose, gentlemen? Door number two. Thank you, Flo. <laughs> Today, we can choose door number two. We don't have to live under the law anymore. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for me. I just have to accept him. Kate's wedding ring... Uh, lost a stone this week. One of the little stones fell out of it. And so she, till it can be fixed, she put it on the dresser. So today she's not wearing a wedding ring. <laughs> Are we still married? Yeah, we are. If the ring became the focus of our marriage instead of our relationship being the focus of our marriage, what good is the ring? The ring is not a substitute for my relationship with my wife. It's only a sign of my relationship with my wife. And if God forbid that ring ever became more important to her than what it represents, we have a problem. Let's stand together. Today, as I've been speaking, I share that story about Kate's ring because I feel like some of us may have identified that we might have a problem. 
maybe one of the signs of your relationship with God has maybe become the focal point of your relationship with God instead of your relationship with God. Maybe one of the practices, maybe one of the sacraments, maybe something that you do, something maybe is standing in a place that's more important. And you would be like, no, it's not. He's actually why I do this. Well, if God put his finger on it in your heart today, I'm trusting that he did that for a reason. What are you holding to that you need to let go of today? It might be a good thing. And it might come back around to being a part of the rhythm of your relationship with Jesus. But maybe today, you need to let go of it. Maybe the Holy Spirit is is reminding you of where you've maybe imposed your religious practice on somebody else and made them feel badly about that. Listen, we're, we're here today to present our hearts before him and say, God, if there's anything divisive or disruptive in me that's breaking up the family of God because I hold to it too strongly or because I'm holding to it at all, I just want to let that go. Maybe it's just how you were raised or an expectation you have. Maybe it's a response to the crazy political climate we're in. I don't know what it is. But I tell you what, if it's occupying, a, if it has become the symbol of your relationship with God that is out of control, it's time to let it go. Like I said, I don't know what it is. You know, all over the world today, there's, there's a movement of, and you've probably heard the phrase deconstruction. All over the world today, people, young people, old people, and everything in between, they're deconstructing their faith. And I just feel like maybe there wouldn't be quite as much deconstruction if the church let go of some of the stuff that we're shoving down people's throats right now. Things that are not Christ and him crucified. That's not optional. We preach Jesus and we preach Jesus all the way. But what is in our hands that we're being, that we're not being open-handed with? What practices, what rules, what regulations, what laws do you have in your life that make the people around you feel like maybe Jesus isn't worth it? Those are things I'm adding to the gospel and they have no place there. If the good news comes with a healthy helping of the law from me, I'm off base. If the good news from me comes with a healthy helping of things people should and should not do, I'm off base. And I think we might be off base. And so today, if there's any area where you just know you're off base, let's repent. 
So I'm just going to pray. And as I do, would you just open your hands before the Lord and just present to him anything that you, you know he's put it on the table this morning. As we've been talking, you just feel him like putting it on the table. I don't know why. And I'm not going to call anything else out. I just, if there's something that we need to let go of, let's do it today. For the sake of the good news, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of healing in the church and in our world today, let's let go of divisive things. So Jesus, today we just lay ourselves before you. Come Holy Spirit. Would you put your finger on our hearts? Would you search my heart today for anything that's, that I'm adding to the good news? Anything that I'm serving as a side helping to the good news, I want to be done. Would you just take it from my heart, take it from my life? And would you show me what I need to do to be rid of that today? I don't want to hold anything. I don't want to hold anything in my hands with the good news of Jesus. I just want it to be Jesus Christ and Him crucified and the freedom that that brings. I want to be a freedom bringer to other people, God. Just like the Apostle Paul says, Lord, I, I don't want to be someone who is there to put me to pe put people back in bondage. I want to be pe someone who's there to set people free from bondage. So right now, as we as as we just sing this, nothing else, would you just release that? Just speak it out by name. Maybe it's something by name. Something you need to do, a change you need to make as we sing this song through just once. And nothing else. Sing it out. I just want you, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else. I just need you, I just need you, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just need We lay our lives before you and we just say you're Lord of our lives and Lord of our hearts. And we just lay before you all of our practices, all of our piety, all of our religion, all of everything, anything external. We just lay it all before you. And we just ask that you would have your way in our hearts and your lives. Would you bring us to that place Bring us to that place of true religion, God. Trusting you, believing you. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and nothing else. Lord, that we would be bringers of hope to a world that's hopeless. That we would be bringing life to a world that's dying. That we would be refreshing to a dry and thirsty city that we would be refreshing, that people's encounters with us would be refreshing. Boy, that guy just likes to talk about Jesus. She just likes to talk about Jesus. And it just brings hope and it brings life to me when they're around. I really like them around. 
That's what we want people to say about us as a church. They like having us in the room. They like having us in the room. Lord, that's what we want people to say about us because we bring life. We bring grace. We bring faith. We speak from a place of faith to the city around us. We speak from a place of faith to those that are hurting. We speak from a place of faith to those that need hope. Would you do that in us today, God, we ask in Jesus' name. Fill us with faith today. Lord, I ask for each one that you'd fill us with faith today. Lord, as we leave this place, that you'd fill us with faith. Not in anything else but you, Jesus. We don't have to look to anything else, to the world around us to, to have hope. We don't look to that. We look to you, Jesus. Would you fill each of us with faith today? Fill us with faith, God, today we ask in Jesus' name. As we go from this place to make you visible to the world around us, God, help us to leave behind practices and things from the past that are no longer serving you. We leave those things behind right now in Jesus' name. We leave all of that behind, God, and we move forward in freedom, in joy, in faith, in grace today, God, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Would you encourage somebody on the way out today? Would you just encourage somebody with a word of hope, a word of faith, somebody that needs encouragement? If you need prayer for any reason, we want to pray with you. There's people that want to pray with you, so come on up to the front on either side here by the screens and someone will meet you. From Someone from our prayer team and ministry team will meet you and pray with you. God bless you. Have an amazing afternoon. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.